Welcome to the Back on Track Podcast, the podcast that will inspire, impact, and empower you, and will bring forth conversations and information that will help you finally break free from the internal shackles that are restricting you from making maximum progress in your life and business. And now, here's your host, speaker, trainer, storyteller, author, and coach, Ghazi Muhammad. Yes, ma'am. We're live. We're live. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Back on Track. I am your host, Brother Ghazi. And today we have in our studio a very powerful young sister. Um, had an opportunity to meet her and encounter her energy and her intelligence with the great ABS tribe, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. I'm quite sure she's going to touch on that. Um, but um, very powerful young sister, um, Sister Marquis Murphy. Um, how you doing, my sister? I'm doing good. How are you? I am blessed. I am blessed. I'm blessed. Uh, thank you for bracing us with get into it. Let's let's um talk a little bit about your story. You know, I'm familiar with some of your story, but let's you know talk about it for the listener audience. Um, okay. And now I'm nervous. <laughs> so I um you know, I grew up mostly around my mom and my grandmothers and my aunts and everything like that. That's who raised me. And so those are my role models in life. And so I have really great examples of women that I feel I was able to look up to and get to the point where I am, even with the absence of my father and my grandfather being there, um, because, uh, you know, that's really important for young ladies, that father daughter relationship. And so as a little girl, I didn't have that. And I'm grateful that I have it now with my dad even with with him being, you know, pretty much sometimes probably in my same city, but just not a part of my life um, for basically my entire life until I turned 18 years old. And um, my grandfather was in prison serving what, like 15 years or something like that. So possibly went in when I was three and then came back out when I was 18. And both of them made it just in time for my graduation. Um, my grandfather, I always had a relationship with, like I knew who he was. I would talk to him on the phone. I actually visited him before in prison, but my dad, I knew who he was and sometimes um, I would see him, but I just didn't have the, a relationship with him, like almost at all. Not, not at all like how I had my grandfather. Like I would write my grandfather and, you know, when it was time for me to get a cell phone, I had to write him like 10 reasons why it just different things like that. I would get birthday cards. And but for my dad, there wasn't that type of relationship. Um, and so once that once he they both were, you know, good out of jail, prison, their charges were whatever. Um, my dad and I started to build our relationship. He helped me a lot through college. Um, he helped me, you know, make sure that I could pay for things and stay on campus, you know, books and just everything like that. Things just got better. And um, even though I hadn't resolved all of my issues right away, I still, I wanted that relationship with him. So I accepted him in my life, like with no problem. I didn't, 
give him a hard time. I wasn't, you know, mean to him. And he says it all the time. And so do my aunts. Um, his sisters always say that they're so happy that I was able to accept him just willingly back into my life. Wow. And, yeah. And then so, 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 so just for clarity, your father, both your father and your grandfather was in prison most of your childhood life, right? Yeah, my dad's, my mom's dad and then my dad. Okay. And um, so we got Sakina Whitaker sending in enjoying this conversation. Thank you for tuning in. And so, 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 you know, um, so prior to seeing your dad when you was 18, did, did, did you ever see him prior to that? Like ever? Did, did you yeah. know? Yeah, I knew him. I knew exactly what he looked like. I knew who he was. Um, if I saw him in the street, I would know it was my dad. Um, because, uh, let's see, when I was like four, before I went to um, kindergarten, his mom would keep me. And sometimes he would come by the house and he would see me while I was there. And I'm talking about in my head, I probably only remember this happening like two times. Um, Cause one of the times I remember he was on this big red motorcycle. He came and pulled up and he pulled away off this on this motorcycle. And I just remember boohoo crying. I have to be like four. And I just remember crying, crying, crying because I knew my dad was leaving and I knew that I didn't know when I was going to see him again. And ever since that actually made me afraid of motorcycles and everything. And then um, sometimes when I was in elementary school, my aunt was his godmother. So sometimes he would come over to her house where I was at while I was in elementary school. And then I had a cousin who would um, like arrange little meetings with me and my dad. Sometimes his sisters, like one time I heard they took me to St. Petersburg to see him and my mom didn't know. It was just like all kinds of little like secret meetings like that, that my mom probably never knew that I was seeing my dad um, because he would just pop up, disappear, pop up, disappear. And it was because he was fleeing charges. He was, I guess, wanted so badly, like in our city and stuff like that, that he couldn't stay, just stay around in our city. Wow. And so what was the, so, so you, you know, as you talking, I'm thinking about, you know, my own life. So I didn't know my father until I was 14. I knew his name, but I had never seen a photo of him. Didn't know how he looked, mm -hmm. none of that. And we met under the most unusual circumstances. And the first time I met my father, you know, I said to my father, man, I got to live with you because mom finna uh, put me in juvenile till I'm 21. And um, that was the first time I had ever laid eyes on my father. And, you know, he had to think about it because I was like a little a little roughneck, little youngster. But he talked to his wife and she's like, yeah, you know, you know, let him come on over, you know. Um, you know, maybe we can do something different with him. And um, so I'm grateful for that. But I didn't know how he looked. And I remember coming up, I remember how I felt like not having that father there. I had uncles and stuff like that. You know, my uncle Bruce, shout out to him. He he was a great example of, of somebody who deal with children and, you know, really like, you know, that man figure for me. And, and you know, my, my uncle Gregory, I had a few uncles that was there and, you know, some of the FOI brothers that I had met, but it ain't nothing like your dad. So, you know, uh, what kind of effect did that have on you? Like, like your dad being gone like that? I know you were sharing with me, you know, a conversation you and them had years later. Uh, how did that conversation go? Well, when I, well, first, when I was a little girl, um, I remember telling you this, that like when in school, they would ask us if we had three wishes, what would we wish for? And I would never answer the question. I would always just write 
Um, I don't have three wishes. I just wish my dad was here. And I used to that that was how it affected me so much as a little girl. And then I just remember also like seeing Disney movies and this wish upon a star thing. Every night I would do it. Every night I would open my window and I would look out at these stars and I would just say, I wish my dad was here. Wow. And it was it's sad. Like when you think about it, um, I didn't cry about it a lot, but I it was it was heavy on my heart a lot. And then as I got older, um, I started to realize just how much that affected me as a young lady, as a young adult. And this year I went to therapy and through therapy, I kind of involved him in it, um, letting him know kind of like what I was going through with therapy and just being fully transparent with him, um, <clears throat> letting him know like some of the assessments that they had you that they had me take in therapy to involve him in it, I would look up the assessment and then I would do it with him over the phone. I'd be like, dad, this is called the ACEs assessment. It's called adverse childhood experiences. Um, and they that type of, of, of assessment basically gives you a rating on how much you could be affected um, emotionally by things that happened to you as a child. Um, you know, your risk of certain diseases, your risk of being using alcohol or drugs and things like that. And so I took that test with him just so he could see, you know, all of the things that I went through in his absence. And he was just he was really shocked. He was like, wow, um, I blame myself for all of this stuff happening to you. Hmm. And um, so that was you know, to hear him own up to that and just say that to me, it made a really big difference. I was, I'm surprised at the difference that it made just having that conversation alone. And that was the first conversation we had about it. And then after that, you know, I continued therapy and um, I would still come back and I'll be like, okay, well, here's another assessment. And this one is about anxiety. And um, we answered the anxiety questions and it it showed that both of us actually have really high uh, rate of anxiety and everything like that. And um, so it just showed us some of the things that we've shared in our lives and some of the things that happened to me as a result of him not being there. Or at least, you know, you never know what would happen, you know, whether he was there or not. The facts are is that even though it could have happened while he was present. I went through it alone right. because I shared with him. There were a lot of things that I didn't share with my mom because I, I don't know how I knew when I was as a little girl that it was just her that I didn't want to ever make her feel like she wasn't doing a good job. So I never really like told my mom a lot of things because I didn't want her to feel like she was failing as a mother. Wow. And that is a very, um, for those who just joined us, we, we're here with the great Marquis Murphy. Um, and, and, and that's a very heart-wrenching and, and, and soul-stirring um, conversation you just had. Um, she said, thank you for having such a sweet spirit. Yeah, yeah. People feel your spirit, man. You just always genuine like that. And you know, it's something that, um, and thank you for tuning in, Sister Shaniqua. Um, you know, it's something because um, people don't know, you know, fathers don't know. You know, like, you know, we got a lot of absentee dads for whatever reason. You know, we can go to historical reasons why black men out there, sociological, economic, you know, psychological, it's all kind of reasons. But whatever the reason is, justified or not, the fact of the matter remains that the negative impact 
that our absence and lack of presence have on our children and our community is definitely something that's felt. Mm -hmm. I remember studying that um, like so many, like a large majority of men that's in prison grew up without their father. A lot of them in mental hospitals on drugs, like their father presence played a lot, of, you know, a, a, a strong part of that. And we got some strong women out here who, who, who try to do it all. You know, they, they do what they know how to do. So salute to all the single mothers out there. But nothing, no matter how strong they are, how focused and how determined the mother may be, nothing adds that element, that masculine element, the energy that a father can only give. The woman can't give that. She can never give that. You know, she can do, she, she can raise you right, teach you right and all that. But it's something about that, that man. That's why I take both to create the child and it, it take both to, to, to rid the child too, not just one, you know? Yeah. So Absolutely. please repeat the two assessments that she mentioned. Um, one, one was called ACEs, A-C-E-A-C-E-S, ACEs, um, and it's adverse childhood experiences. Um, and then the other one, I can't remember the name of it, but it was, um, it was a, for anxiety. I just, I just can't remember the name of that one, but it just asked, um, it was a, an assessment. I would just say Google like um, uh, therapist anxiety assessment or something like that. And it could come up and it's gonna be just a bunch of different questions if scenarios on like, if you were in a crowd full of people um, and such and such happened, how would you respond? Would you do this or that? It's like a multiple choice one. And then at the end, it gives you a score and um, it'll tell you like, you know, what your anxiety score is and everything like that. Wow. Okay. Thank you for sharing. Okay. So let me ask you a question then. And this is a question that stems from, from your story. So your grandfather wasn't there, your, your, your father wasn't there. For the most part, coming up as a child, they were in prison. And um, and so you say you was raised by your mother, your aunties and women. So do you think, or what effect does that have on you now? You know, you're a young lady and your relationship to men. It, 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 it like Because some people who don't have a father, some of them start longing for men and they long for men in the wrong way. And some of them do it sexually and, you know, all kind of things, you know, um, because the man wasn't there to really give them that assurance and that, you know, that, you know, whatever the man's supposed to give his daughters, you know. Yeah. Uh, how has that affected you today in terms of relationships or, or what effect do you think they have on you? Um, so my mom did get married twice. She got married when I was five and then she got married, uh, divorced. Um, I think I was like, in seventh grade or something. And then she got married again when I was at 15. So that it's like the absence of my father coupled with that. I think I resented men. I, I don't, I think I just really didn't like, I didn't have my first boyfriend. I don't even know. Like I just wasn't really thinking that a relationship would work out for me. I didn't have a whole lot of hope when it came to it. And then when I finally did get in college and got in relationships, I felt terrible like about, about relationships. Like I was trying to prove myself. And, you know, I always had this mindset of like, I, I don't want to have kids with someone and not be married to them. I don't want to go through a divorce. And just like, I, I had all these things that I saw my mom go through that I was like, I don't want to do. I don't want to have a baby daddy. I don't want to get married and then have a divorce and then have kids go into separate households. Because even though my mom's first husband wasn't my dad, she married him when I was five. And I he had a daughter coming into the marriage. And so her and I, till this day, we were, we were like 
this close and we were excited to be sisters once they got married. Then they had two more kids. So now we both have half siblings in this marriage. And so when the divorce happened to me, that affected my relationship with my siblings. You know, it was like my family got broken up. So it's just the family dynamic in general that that really hurt. And I didn't want to experience that. And even even through therapy, I had to talk to my sisters about that. I was like, you know, I'm realizing now how the divorce affected me, even though he wasn't my dad. um, It still affected me in a way. And I felt like all these years, no one think it affect. No one thought it affected me. You know, when it came to the court order of my siblings getting visitation with their dad, I wasn't included with that. But what they failed to realize in the court system is that he might not have been my biological father, but he was standing in place at that time. And he was important to me. So me not getting visitation with him also affected me. So it was like losing a father a second time. And it just it made me lose a lot of hope in men and the fact that maybe I would get married one day and have a family of my own. Wow, that's powerful. And um, so are you single right now? No. Okay. well, that's a good thing. You got your good brother there. It's a lot. Um, I met him when I was 19. And. I spent a lot of time like when I met him, he moved back to Georgia. I just moved back to Georgia. But, um, you know, that's how we were able to get connected again, because when I met him, I just knew like I was like, this is my person. And everything was just there was nothing I could say about it. But then after that, through college, meeting these boys at, at my university and just everything like that, it was just a challenge. And I would say that. I feel like I'm in a good place now, though. Yeah. And, and so that's, you know, that's powerful. Um, you know, so I'm a father. You know, I have um, a lot of children, a lot of children, <laughs> you know. And, um, you know, at, at a certain point in my life, I was a single dad. And um, I raised for six years. I raised my three sons and my daughter by myself. And I wound up getting, uh, you know, remarried. But, you know, got a divorce from that and remarried again. But, um during that time, I, you know, I remember, you know, I had my sons first and I didn't get my daughter. She's now 22 and I didn't get her till she was like about five years old. When I had my boys, they was like in Pampers, you know, when I had my three boys. And um, part of my mindset was that, that my daughter should be around her mother to teach her some feminine things and things that women's supposed to know because I was very political and I mean, she's with me. She's been doing push-ups and all kind of stuff, you know, <laughs> how to do obstacle course and, and, you know, drilling and, you know, so I didn't know what to do for it. And, and I remember a time when I decided to, um, you, you know, really, you know, um, get it from her mother because her mother wasn't in a good place. And um, um, my, my daughter, when she got older, she would tell me that I had my, I had all her brothers with me and, uh, you know, we would go pick her up on the weekend and, you know, I didn't know how much it affected her when I dropped her off and we would leave, you know, and, and until she got older, she told me, like, I used to just cry, like, um, Daddy, you don't want me, you, you know, uh, why are you going to get my brothers and, you know, you don't have me. And I never knew that, you know, my rationale was this your mother. I want to teach you some feminine things, teach you how to be a lady and how to be a woman, because I, I couldn't teach you none of that, you know, and, uh, and here she or her, her mind, like, you don't even want me, you don't mm-hmm. even like me. You know, why you don't love me? Why, why you don't you know, take me with you? And, you? and she would talk to her brothers and we having fun at the house. And 
she over there with her mother and she like that, you know, and um, I didn't know that. So for all the fathers out there, all the men out there who listen to this right now or who heard the broadcast, understand the effect that our presence or lack thereof have on our children. Yeah. And um, that's a powerful story right there, sister. So I'm glad you um, got to that point where you can be in the process of healing from that because now you're in a, a relationship. Some people never get to that point and if they get into a relationship, it's not healthy. So mm-hmm. women, get, women who, who go through that, who never go through the process of healing, women or men who, who just miss that parent and they never go through the process of healing. When we do enter a relationship, it's not really a healthy relationship. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. We appreciate that. So, okay. So right now, you, you know, you've gone through that. You, you've had our transformations, but right now you're the superstar, you know, you're the superstar, the, the brand strategist, the, the I mean, the, the digital as, uh, graphic design expert and, you know, you're just doing your thing now. So let's talk about um, how you got up into, you know, what you're doing right now, because um, I've seen some of your work and I, I, I'm amazed at what comes from your brain in terms <laughs> of creating that online presence for, you know, your clients. So so, so how did you get involved in that? Um, well, I've always been creative. I started dancing when I was five. Um, my grandmother, I was just... Um, in the living room, the radio was on and I just started dancing. And ever since she noticed that and she put me in a dress, she made it for me, got me dance shoes. And I started dancing at church and everything like that. The first song I ever danced to was Silver and Gold. I don't know if you know that song. And um, so, but when it, when it came time for me to get, go to high school and actually kind of make a decision of like, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? My high school had like a nursing program, a biology program, a law program, and um, some others. And it was called the magnet program. And just being practical, feeling like I had to make a decision, I was like, okay, well, I'll do nursing. And I did that for all four years of high school. And our freshman year, we did like uh, health science 101, you know, basically learning um, emergency uh, response type of stuff. Uh, The person, the lady who taught our class, her husband was a a firefighter and I think she was an EMT. So we were learning about that. We were learning CPR. We got certified and all these different things. But then from sophomore year to senior year, we actually interned as nurses. We were in the nursing home. We were giving insulin shots, giving baths, feeding people, doing all of this stuff that licensed practical nurses would normally do so that when we graduate, we could take our um, exam to become a licensed practical nurse. I can't believe I did that. (laughs) I I finally got to the point even in that, that I was like, I do not want to do this. Like I couldn't stand bodily fluids and none of that stuff. I just didn't like it, but I'm just trying to stick through it because I'm doing what I think I'm supposed to do. So then when I went to college, I just decided, okay, let's stay on this health track and, you know, let's just think big. And I wanted to become um, a pediatrician. So I went for pre-med and I did terrible. My first year of college, I almost flunked out of school and um, lost my financial aid and everything. And then thank God for my family because um, what happened in that time, I had to take the summer semester off. Um, There was like, really, I had no choice. It was like the school said, you need to take a semester off. And in that time, I took a job at my church. And I don't even know how this got lined up. I don't know whose hands, my mom, who talked to who, but I ended up going um, through Workforce Alliance. I don't know if you know what that is, but they kind of fund um, job opportunities, I guess, for youth. Because when I went to the program, 
it was a bunch of kids that were like high school age, like my age. And they were teaching us about job etiquette and um, where like wearing proper work attire, resumes and just different things like that. And the first day on that job at my um, church, I fell in love. I just knew by the end of the day, I was like, this is what I want to do every day. And I was doing I was working in their marketing department and I was doing audio, video, email marketing, um, social media and keeping up with the website and all of that. I enjoyed it. And I haven't looked back since that was in 2012. And I still to this day do all of those things and and stay up, up to date with those things and just love it so much. Um, I eventually after um that summer went back to school. I had to go to the state college. My pa- uh, my family paid for it. And that I brought my grades up. I basically got um, like a 3.0 of the classes that I took to show my university that I'm doing better. I brought my grades up and they gave me my financial aid back and I went back to school. Wow. Okay. Yes, ma'am. And that's amazing. So for, for those who are online, um, you know, we're talking to a super genius here who She's excellent and real thorough. Young sister that's real good at marketing. If you have a business, if you have an idea, you got a a program or a service that you need marketing, you need branding. I mean, I've seen some of her work and y'all know I don't be BS and ain't no fluff. I've seen her work and and, and it's absolutely remarkable. So, um, okay, so let's talk about the um, ABS tribe. So I know that, 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 you know, you do a lot of marketing for the ABS tribe. Uh, let's talk about what is the ABS tribe. Um, that's how I met you through our great brother, um, you know, our great brothers. Um, but I'm gonna let you talk about it, how you got involved with, with, with ABS and um, you know what you're doing now in, in, in that capacity. Okay, so um, in May, I was, you know, still working full time and, you know, freelancing my business. I kind of did that you know, ever since I graduated, I had been trying to um, freelance and do my business on the side. My jobs always took up so much of my time. I've always worked in marketing, the same field that I went to school for and what I do now through my business. Um, my first job, I literally um, could not do as much as I wanted with my business because they needed so much of my time. So I got another job. And through that other job, I still don't feel like I was um, doing you know, what I could have been for my business. And so Ken Stevens, who's also in the tribe, approached me. He was like, Marky, what are you doing? He knows, he's like, I know you're so talented and, you know, but it doesn't seem like your business is moving as it should be. And so I, I've i known him since I was like 12. So that conversation coming from him, I didn't feel like, who do you think you are? I took it as man, he's right. I have to look at myself and I have to look at this and I have to do better. And so he started asking me questions. He's like, well, have you had an LLC, right? And I was like, no. And then he was just like, again, so shocked. Like, I can't believe you don't have an LLC. So in May, it was like May 15th, that night on the phone, we registered my LLC. And um, literally the next day, a professor from my university reached out to me and basically offered me um, some freelance work that I feel like I wouldn't have been able to take had I not had the LLC, had my EIN, had my business account and everything like that. It would have been because he was paying me through another business. He wouldn't have been able to pay me. He wouldn't. It would have been under the table or it would have been whatever. And that's not how you want to do business. And so in the beginning, Ken and I kept, you know, that's why I advocated so much for people to have their LLC um, so that they can have those business relationships and transactions or whatever. 
So things started going well literally the next day. So Ken and I kept doing things together. I started noticing that he was doing the Black Agenda and um, he hired me to do his um, social media graphics. And so that's kind of how I also got a little bit more momentum. And I started being you know, more present with him, helping him because I have video experience as well with his lives, setting up his camera, making sure his lighting was good and everything like that. And I noticed that he would always be on Jake or Ben or Derek Grace. Like he'd be on all these people's lives all the time. And I would just be sitting there like, what are you doing? Like, why are you listening to these people? I was like, I can't think right now. I'm trying to create. And it's like, they're talking and I can't focus on my computer. So I was like, you got to go somewhere with that. But one day I was done and he was on Jake's live. And um, Jake was just talking about the ABS bundles that he had. He was talking about purpose to profits. And he was saying like, this was like, now this is like August. And um, he was saying like, if you purchase purpose to profits today, you'll get a chance to basically, he was doing like a raffle to get into uh, the private banking blueprint, digital real estate, drop shipping bandit, and the ABS tribe, all of that plus purpose to profits. So I was like, this is my first time watching live. And I was just listening to him passionately just talk about purpose to profits and everything. And I was like, even if I don't get all that other stuff, I think purpose to profits would really help me right now because I just knew that Ken was watching these people and he was on such a good track. Like I know Ken had a nonprofit um, and like two other businesses, but this, the black agenda was like his third business, but just seeing him in his element function at it in such a different way. I was like, Whoa, like I want to be in on what he knows. And so I bought purpose of the profit and I ended up getting all of those other bundles and I started doing purpose to profits and it literally changed how I thought about my business, how I operated in my business, being in the ABS tribe itself helps me get clarity just on the things that I was going through in my life. Because a lot of people, like I've been in other business groups and other networking opportunities, but this one was more than just, here's how you run your business and here's how to make money. It was what's going on with you and how does that reflect in your business and how do you um, go through your day-to-day life and stay uplifted and in good spirits. And then now with that, you can have a better um, opportunity at focusing on your business. And that's what I got out of the ABS tribe. Wow. And that's powerful. And, you know, I um, ha- have a similar experience. Well, not similar, but the, the effects of the ABS. And for those who listen to ABS is assets before splurging. So it's a um, tribe put together and started by our, our young brother, brother Ben X and our young brother, Jake, Jacob Taylor. And um, you have Sabrina Kane and they have a host of phenomenal coaches. And this, uh, I love it because I've invested in other coaching programs. Right. And these programs, they were designed to almost make you a mini version of themselves. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really like that because I got my own flavor. I, I like doing stuff and saying stuff the way I like to say it. Right. So I didn't like being structured and, and, and corralled in a way to make me a smaller version of whoever started their coaching program. But what I like about the ABS tribe and how brother Ben and brother Jake and all of the phenomenal coaches do is you can be yourself. Like whatever business you have, 
It's how can you make your business better? How can you market it better? How can your online presence get better? But it's whatever you, whatever your flavor is, right? Not everybody do what I do, but whatever you do, let's help you do it better. Let's help you monetize that idea. Let's help you, you know, get a better online presence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, that's so amazing about the tribe. It's like a mini marketplace right in the tribe because, like you said, they let everybody be themselves. And yes, they're teaching us how to make money online, but they're teaching us more than one way. And there's a way for everyone that comes in, literally every walk of life, come in and you can find which road works for you. So like um, I haven't been doing drop shipping. I haven't been doing the affiliate marketing. I went in there. I just took the teachings and I was learning, seeing what they were talking about in digital real estate and different things like that and applying it to my business. And it's like whatever you focus on, whatever you decide to focus on, you can make money doing it. And that's one thing I've learned through the tribe. It's like I don't have to get in there and do drop shipping, be an affiliate and try to run my business. I can focus on my business and get just as much fruit from that as someone who doesn't have a business and they're only focused on affiliate marketing. Right. Absolutely. And so let me ask you, okay, so um, we're going on, let me see, that's our sister Desire that from Black Girl Found. Peace, my sister Desire. Thank you for tuning in. And let's go over some of these comments. Um, let me see, Corey Benson said that's powerful. And um, he's really a principal of a school. Let me see, Shannon said very powerful testimony. Thank you for your transparency. Many can benefit from your story. I absolutely agree with you, Shannon. Um, and Corey, He's an administrator and principal of a school. He said he would love for you to speak to their students whenever they get back on campus. So um, I'm going to have to connect you and Corey. He, he, he got a phenomenal program with, some, with, with a lot of black and Latino students doing some phenomenal work. Okay. And then, of course, Kokisha said, you know, that, that your story was awesome. But OK, so let me ask you a question then. Um, what kind of advice, you know, um, for, for the entrepreneur out there, for people who are trying to start a business? Like what kind of tips, what kind of marketing tips, what kind of like graphic tips, uh, what kind of tips, because I've seen your work and I, when, when I seen the um, one sister, you know, y'all put the, the, the website up of, of the system um, that she's working with. I say, oh, the monkey did that. The <laughs> monkey Mark did that. <laughs> it was real nice. The colors was nice. And so so I know when you brand and colors is important and there's so many variables and factors that, that, that's very important. But uh, what kind of advice would you give people who are entrepreneurs, who are coaches, who are, you know, that they have a service um, to, to help their online presence? What, like, what can you tell them? OK, so the first thing I would say is establishing your brand. Um, and so that's your logo, your colors um, and then even your voice and how you you know how when you're writing papers in school and they say, what's the tone of this and what's the voice? You know, you have that within your brand, too. And so the reason I say that that should be the first starting step is because a lot of people, they jump on social media and they start using it to promote their brands and everything. But it seems all over the place and you don't want to seem all over the place. Um, so if you don't have a graphic designer, you're going to be doing these things yourself. You want to execute to the best of your ability. And um, so if you're using Canva or if you're just finding something like a quote and you want to repost it on your page, but you've already established your brand colors as black, purple and white, 
and you find a red graphic on Google or on social media and you want to repost it, you should be recreating that in your colors. Don't just post something um, because you see that it says and sends the message you want to send. You always have to basically reverse engineer things. You see something that you want to use um, to, for your business, rebrand it and then use it for your business. Take it through that process to make it your own um, before just putting it out there. And um, because a lot of times I meet people and, and you could do this before you even have a logo. You just might have established your colors. Um, Ken Stevens, who's also in the tribe with us, the Black Agenda, he did not have a logo before we started working together. We started working together and we started to establish colors. We started with red, black and white. And then we took a step back and we did uh, red, black and gold. And from there, that's what it's been ever since. Then we created his logo to go along with that. And we've been and we have his brand now. You, It's unmistakable. When people see it on their feed, they don't just see another quote. They don't just see another meme. They see it branded in his business and recognize it. And it's easier for them to support him because when you're just scrolling, if your stuff looks like everything else out there, you're not giving it any identity. Right. Okay. Yes, ma'am. And so for, for, for people who don't, you know, what would you say? So, so, so it's difficult right now with COVID. Mm-hmm. A lot of people was laid off or fired. A lot of businesses have shut down. Millions of people are now unemployed since the COVID pandemic have, 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 have started, right? And so now this push for entrepreneurship, especially online um, and, and virtual entrepreneurs, is, is really picking up momentum, like more so than I've ever seen it before in, in the past. And so for people who, who have that idea, what steps do they take to get, take that idea from their brain to manifestation to the point of monetizing it? I mean, what's the, is it fear to stopping people in your, from, like, how do you see that? Fear stops me sometimes. So that fear could definitely be um, the issue. I would say um, if you're wanting to start a business, because sometimes people just don't have any idea. They want to start a business, but they don't even know what they should start. Um, you have to look within you, look within you and find those things that you're already passionate about. If you already know you're passionate about the way you eat or you're passionate about working out, that might be an area of business you might want to explore. And so if that's the case, if health and wellness is where you find your passion, now you, you should be looking for about five to seven people that do that well and watch them and see how they're doing it and then put your own twist on it. Right. Be- like they like it said, there's nothing new under the sun. And that goes with business, too. There are a lot of things in business that we will go into and it's already it already exists. Someone's already doing it. That's not to deter you from going into that industry. You should go into that industry, look and see what's happening and tailor your business like the industry, like the market. That's, you know, it may seem like bizarre, but if you look at a lot of clothing lines, a lot of shoe companies, they're all doing similar things because that's what sells and they're doing it with their own twist on it. So you have to find your market in your industry and do the same thing. Absolutely. And, you know, I like to say it like um, you can go to any major city. KFC chair chicken, Popeye's sell chicken. Um, other, you know, here in Phoenix, they got Lolo's chicken and waffle. They got Roscoe's chicken and waffle on, on the West Coast. So we got many chicken places. They all sell chicken. The difference is the flavor. 
So you got to add your flavor to whatever you're doing. And some people will be thinking like, what's a lot of people doing that? So I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Doing the way you're going to do it. You know, you got a, a certain kind of flavor. And how important is finding that flavor and finding that finding that lane, getting in alignment? How important is that with finding your tribe? And, and how important is finding the tribe to an entrepreneur? That's going to be important because that's how you build your supporters. That's how you find your target audience, your target clients and everything like that. Um, I found the ABS tribe. And from there, you know, that's a hub of people. And some of those people are becoming my tribe. You know, when I have a success, they're excited about it, too. And they share it and then they attract more people um, to my tribe and everything like that. And so that's in staying in that lane of yours is going to allow you to stay specific um, and you won't feel like you're all over the place. Um, because I'll say from my experience, I started out and I was doing photography, video, graphic design, web design and social media. That's a lot of different things. And I should have known better because I had a job where I had to do photography, video, social media and all of that. And it was a little overwhelming. And I should have known that in my business, it was also going to be a little overwhelming. And so to focus in on a smaller area within marketing allowed me to be more successful instead of being a woman of many hats or uh, what is that one phrase? Um, uh, Jack of all trades, expert of none. You don't want to be that. And I was that for a long time. And when you're first starting out, I feel like that's okay. But you eventually have to become an expert of something Um, because being a jack of all trades, you get to learn what you like, what you don't like. And that's how that benefited me. I realized that I don't like going out and doing photo shoots and video shoots because then I spend two, three hours outside in the sun working with somebody. Then I got to come home, edit it. And then, you know, that's like double the work being a photographer. You go out and shoot it and then you come home and edit all of those hundreds of photos. I did not want to do that anymore. So I realized I like just I like being at the house. I like working on my computer and I can do that by branding and being a graphic designer and doing web design because my ultimate passion is helping small businesses, black owned businesses and entrepreneurs. And I've had the skill and I've, I've learned how to do these other things. So I use that to help the art, the audience that I want to help. Yeah. And, and that's very profound. So y'all hear our young sister, she committed to helping small black owned businesses. So if you're a business owner and we're going to put that information in the, in, 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 in the box and we're going to put on this link. Um, but you know, when you were talking about um, being an expert, right. Um, people, sometimes people think and have the misconception that, if you want to do a business, you have to once again go to school, learn like 10, 15 years of learning or five years and get your degrees and all that. Right. That works for some people, but it don't work for all people. Right. You know, as far as the college route. And I remember reading that um, if you study something for 10,000 hours, then that makes you an expert. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I, I heard a few people say that. I heard it, too. And they say 10,000 hours. So. When I looked at that now, so I went calculated, right? You know, I did some time in the joint. So I calculated from time I was 16 to 24, I spent 61,152 hours behind bars. Wow. So that means I'm an expert six times over in my (laughs) mind because I studied this stuff, right? And I was studying, it was some intense studying, right? Day in and day out. 
So in my mind, I have six master's degrees. So when I look at things from that angle, sometimes we experience some things. If you got years of experience, damn it, you're an expert. You ain't yeah. go to school for that. You got years, you got 15, 20 years. That's better than people that went to school, mm-hmm. you know? And, 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 and sometimes we devalue ourselves and we don't put a value to it because society did not give us a, a, a certificate or a diploma or mm-hmm. they didn't, they didn't uh, um, support or, or, or validate who and what we was. But if you've gone through something as a business person, if you in your life, whatever you experience like that, and you know it and you're passionate about it, damn it, you're an expert. You yes. got something to give and something to offer to, to people out here. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. And and I also, so like when I first started my um my first or second marketing business, my one of the things that I used to say was, you know, having your brand presence, like make yourself known. Um, your brand identity, you know, defining what that looks like, what your brand looks like, and brand expertise, meaning you have the experience and expertise to talk about what you're talking about and show people that, show people that you're the expert. And then also don't be afraid to educate yourself further on certain things. That's where, and if if you're showing people that, they're going to take you serious and they're going to trust you because you're showing them that you're the expert and you're also showing them that you're willing to learn more. And I think in every business, always be willing to learn more. But that doesn't mean you have to go in debt and go to a university. There's so many resources for you to learn more about your field. Right. And so let me ask you, you know, one thing I like, you know, uh, I've heard Brother Ben X say this several times. And, and it's like an ABS tribe mantra, uh, passive impact over passive income. So a lot of entrepreneurs, we get into business. Of course, you want to affect your bottom line. You want to make some money because it's business, right? However, if you focus on impacting people, inspiring people, empowering people, that right there oftentimes translate into affecting your bottom line. What value is having that servant heart in business and entrepreneurs? You know, you work with a lot of entrepreneurs. Uh, what value does the role of being a servant? Like really, you know, like what you said, you committed to serving and helping small black owned businesses. So you got to have a certain kind of heart. You know, you know your niche, but you got a certain kind of heart. I want to give back because obviously you see small black owned businesses are struggling, you know, either with brand, with graphics or whatever. And oftentimes it, it kind of take us out because we don't be in the loop of things. But what's the role or, or how important is being a servant, like, like knowing what you want to do, but then having that heart to serve and to make impact first and foremost over income? Um, I, I grew up Christian and that's, I think that's where that, um, that being in my heart is how I became the person that I am. I've always just wanted to serve, do the right thing, be helpful. And I've always done community service ever since I was a little girl. And then once I got older and I started to learn about entrepreneurship and business and how I can help, I would see and hear a lot of people talking about, how Black-owned businesses are unprofessional and um, have poor customer service and all of these things that really I wanted to help Black-owned businesses be seen in a better light. You know, I wanted to uplift our community. To me, it was about community. It wasn't about me making money or anything like that. I just wanted, I just wanted us to be the top, the top dogs. So it was like I was giving myself for the community 
when it when it came time for me when I was making this decision. And so I have really big dreams. And I think through the ABS tribe, even though like sometimes we might dream something or want something like I don't I I wanted to have like some type of business institute or, you know, build something to teach black owned businesses how to run themselves. And I might not have built one. I'm a part of one. And so now I can take being a part of the ABS tribe and teach, you know, impart those things, those little small nuggets every now and then I'll talk and I'll say, hey, like, you know, this and that. And it's like because we're learning all of that in the ABS tribe, we're learning you know, to be more to think about our customer service and our back end processes, not just the skill that we have to offer. So I've always wanted to um, bring all of that to the table, not just me being able to design for people, but just also, you know, debunking all of those stereotypes that come along with having a black owned business. It's like we're going to like people that work with me are going to beat the odds. Like the people that work with me are going to know like, um, they're going to get more out of working with me than just their logo. It's like, well, here's how you use your logo and, you know, just different things like that. And here's how you be professional and here's how you make your social media look better and respond to people and just do things differently. Wow. And, you know, you said something that, that was very key. You said that you always wanted to build your own business and you didn't do that, but you are part of one now in, in a certain light. How, how you doing your business now? And a lot of times as entrepreneurs, especially a lot of black entrepreneurs, I, I, I like what the Ambalaj Muhammad teach when he say, if six to eight people have like minds, you got the similar ideas, then y'all get together, pool y'all resources, and then y'all create a business. Mm -hmm. Sometimes because we brought up in a society that really pushes rugged individualism, they call it. You know, I got to get mine, you got to get yours. We don't think in terms of collaboration. We think in terms of this mine and that's yours instead of uh, ours, you know? So, so, so I like that whole, uh, the, the way the ABS shop is even structured where, where it's collaboration, the way Jake and brother Jake and brother Le Ben X came together, collaborate, a Christian and a Muslim too. I mean, you know, most times, you know, we bang over religion all the time. And here you see, this is a business model that have a straight Muslim father, I'm a minister Louis Farrakhan and a straight Christian was in the pasture and everything. And they come together doing seven figure businesses. That's like, I mean, you hear about that too much. Cause most people, they, they say to themselves, you know, it's only the brothers or, you know, it's only the people in the church. It's only the, you know, but um, I love the business model and I love the idea of collaboration. And that's something, you know, for all those who listen to this live and who listen to the replay, collaboration is important. If you don't have it by yourself, there are other people that may think just like you or similar ideas, pool your resources pull your energy together and create something dynamic, something that can last and everybody eat off of it. You know, everybody can eat off of it. So, um, so as we wind down, Sister Marky, uh, what kind of uh, um, words would you have for aspiring entrepreneurs? Um, you know, what words did you have for young ladies who um, didn't grow up with their father, um, people who want to look into some marketing and things like that? And by all means, we definitely want to put your information in, in the feed where people can get in touch with you. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'll, I'll touch on the, the childhood trauma stuff first, you know, don't be afraid to let someone know what you're going through. Um, because I, I kind of feel like for a long time, I dealt with things on my own and not, and I didn't really share with people what I was going through. And I think sometimes in some ways that hurt me more than it helped me, um, trying to deal with things on my own. And then for aspiring entrepreneurs, I, I made a lot of sacrifices and um, sometimes we see 
sacrifices is something that makes it, oh, this isn't worth it if I have to make that sacrifice. And it's like, that's what makes it worth it. You, I didn't go out with my friends a lot. I missed out on a lot of things, but it's because I had to think about my future. Um, and also just what I like. I don't like hanging out. So it was like, I would just be doing that just because everybody else is doing it and because they want me to be there when really I'm sitting there and all I'm thinking about is my computer at home and, you know, something else that I could be doing with my time. So just be tr be truthful with yourself and give in to your your passion and your creativity. If that means sacrificing time away from something you would normally do, then you should do that. Um, and it's going to be so helpful in the long run. I wouldn't be sitting right here. I never thought I was going to be interviewed. Never would have thought I'd be interviewed by anyone for anything. And it's be because of those sacrifices that I'm able to sit here and share my story. And right. then marketing advice. Um, like I said, you know, if you're thinking about going into an industry um, find the leaders or people in that industry. And actually, I wouldn't even say leaders because the leader of a clothing industry might be a brand that you're not interested in. Find the, the leaders that you're interested in in your industry. Follow them. See how they got into their success. See what they know and try and learn what they know. And then also put your own flavor on it as you share these things with your audience. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Put your own hot sauce on it. Put your own <laughs> hot sauce on it. You don't like it bland? Put your own hot sauce on it. And so uh, what's your website? Uh, 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 how can people get in touch with you or follow you? Um, my Instagram is Marky Murphy at Marky Murphy. And my website is Marketing by Marky. And on Facebook, you can find me Marketing by Marky as well. Okay. I'm typing all this in and I don't type too fast. <laughs> so that's the IG. Um and you say um, at Mark Marky Murphy. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then what's your website again? Marketing by Marky. Okay. Marketing by Murphy. Marky. By Marky. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, sister, you know, and we really appreciate you um, sharing, you know, you and that dot com, right? Marketing by Murphy dot com. Mm -hmm. By Marky dot com. Marketing by Marky dot com. Yeah. Okay. And um, yeah, sister um, Mark, we really appreciate you, you know, sharing your story. Very heartfelt. I, I know you teared up a little bit in the beginning, you know, talking about your father. And, um, you know, that's heartfelt and, and that's sincere and from the heart. And uh, hopefully, you know, someone will listen to this and look at this. And if they have them unresolved issues, you know, with their father, with their mother, whatever, you know, maybe they can just at least start the process of healing because it's all about healing, you know, and um, you know, you seem to be doing a phenomenal job now. You're doing your thing. You're in the stratosphere. So when I look up at nighttime and see the stars, I'll be, I'll be like, there go Marky up there. You know, <laughs> I know you're up there doing your thing right now. And, um, you know, we proud of you, sister. And, you know, we wish you all the best. And may the God bless your work and your efforts to soar to the highest heights. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. And thank you all for joining us. Let's see here. Um, Kokisha Lashan say you dropped some excellent nuggets there. And um, our sister, that black girl found, she said, amen. So, all right, you all. So you all can follow her on Instagram at Marquee Murphy. That's M-A-R-K-E-E-M-U-R-F, I mean, P-H-Y. 
Oh, and then marketing by marquee on dot com is her uh, Instagram. So thank you all for tuning in. And we thank you, my sister, and pray that all is well. You all have a blessed day. Thank you so much for listening. We pray that you are inspired to get your personal and business life back on track and in alignment with your divine purpose. Please subscribe, share this podcast, and join us for future episodes. And remember, your authentic self is powerful beyond measure.